Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 226 of Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Australian Grand Prix from Melbourne, Australia. I'm Robin Warner, and yes, we are back. This is not a motorsport miscellany. This is full-on race report from Australia because the season has started. We are back, and I am joined by my favorite Brit in the whole wide world, Christopher Roche. Chris, how are you? Very well, thanks, Robin. Happy that F1's back with us. Where are you? Shanghai, at the moment, on a business trip. It's uh, a little jet-lagged, but hopefully I can still remember what happened in the race. I want everyone to know that when I say we are a worldwide podcast, I absolutely mean it. We The, the sun never sets on the Fun With Cars podcast. Can I say that? Is that okay, Chris? I think you can say that for this podcast, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I am a little bit later uh, than I initially expected to. It is Wednesday after the Grand Prix, uh, in fact, Thursday morning for Chris. And uh, part of the reason of that is I am actually going to, um, I'm adding a little bit to the show again. And uh, to that end, uh, we're going to give just a little bit more detail on what happened in the Australian Grand Prix. And we're also going to briefly touch on IndyCar and IMSA. Um, I have uh, racing schedules um, that I'm going to let you guys know about. And to that end, we are going to discuss the Australian Grand Prix, of course. And also, that was uh, this past weekend. Also, IndyCar raced in St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg, Florida, March 11th on a street course. Um, and uh, IMSA, uh, the sports car racing in the United States, has had actually had two races. We've talked a little bit about the Daytona 24-hour, which happened on the 27th of January. And even more recently, the 12 Hours of Sebring, which took place March 17th. So, there is a little bit to discuss there as well. This is going to be a little bit of a learn-as-we-go type of situation. So, uh, uh, loyal listeners, please do bear with me. And uh, I am 100% open to suggestions of things you like I'm doing that I've changed and things that you could do without... (laughs) the changes i'm making but uh this is something that uh, is important me to try to continue to involve the um, evolve the show and make it a more productive and enjoyable listening experience okay the winner of the inaugural inaugural 2018 australian grand prix was uh sebastian vettel in the ferrari lewis hamilton could do no better than second to finish out the podium it was kimi raikkonen Daniel Ricciardo finished fourth in his Red Bull, and it was Fernando Alonso, fifth place in the McLaren-Renault. Sixth place went to Max Verstappen, Daniel Ricciardo's teammate. Seventh place was the leading Renault uh, factory car with Nico Hulkenberg. Eighth place, the second Mercedes, Valtteri Bottas. That was the end of a tough weekend for him. Ninth place was uh, Alonso's teammate, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, and the last point went to Carlos Sainz in the second Renault. The Force Indias finished 11th and 12th, Sergio Perez of head of Esteban Ocon. And then the leading Sauber Ferrari was Charles Leclerc, Leclerc uh, in the Sauber Ferrari. 14th went to Lance Stroll, the lead Williams. And that is hard to say, lead Williams in 14th. 15th 
was the last running car of Brendan Hartley in the Scuderia Toro Rosso Honda. And that's something we have to start getting used to saying. Um, we had five uh, drivers that did not finish the race, including both Haas Ferraris, which is definitely a talking point, the Romain Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen. Pierre Gasly uh, was in the Toro Rosso Honda and could not get farther than 13 laps in, unfortunately. And Marcus Erickson in the Sauber Ferrari failed, as well as Sergei Sorokin and the other Williams. So those are the results. Clearly, the talking points will involve the Haas Ferraris, Honda, uh, Renault, and McLaren, and uh, whatever Chris Roche has to say about the whole thing. All that coming up in just a moment. Okay, Chris, those were the results. What did you think? Well, first of all, my prediction about the STR Honda came true in race one. Uh, one DNF <laughs> and last of the of the running cars. But I'm not going to dwell on that. I, I feel, uh, you know, if, if for those people who've been watching Formula One at least for a year, you'll know that uh, Vettel also beat Hamilton last year. But this year's result was very different. Vettel was extremely fortunate to get the win. Uh, he relied on... Uh, uh, safety car period um, and uh, VSC, the virtual safety car, to allow him to get ahead of both his teammate and Lewis Hamilton, um, which and, and a few other freak circumstances which we can discuss basically enabled Ferrari to allow him to take advantage of any safety car period. Um, and so he won the race like he did last year, but he was very uncompetitive relative to his teammate and Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes this this Australian Grand Prix because last year he was able to, to get the race win on merit through his own pace and um, and the, the way the Ferrari was using its tyres. This year, the Mercedes pace looked very ominous. I don't think uh, if it had been a clean race, uh, either he or Kimi would have had a, a real chance at taking the win. And Lewis, I think... Uh, you know, obviously, I'm a Lewis. Uh, I'm a Lewis fan, but he uh, he was robbed. I think it was one of those situations where he did everything right, and the win uh, the win just didn't come his way. But he was on fire. His pole position lap was astonishing. He was uh, almost seven tenths quicker than Kimi Raikkonen, and then he converted that into a lead and was controlling the pace up until the VSC. Um, so you know, Mercedes um, suggested they made a mistake with the looking at the differential when um, Lewis was running second to Vettel, but Vettel hadn't stopped at that point. He was just over 10 seconds behind him, and Mercedes thought incorrectly that uh, if there was a VSC or safety car, that he wouldn't be able to pit and come out ahead of Lewis, but they were actually wrong, and he was able to pit and come out second ahead of Lewis. So they made Mercedes made a mistake, no doubt, but certainly I don't believe uh, Lewis did anything wrong, and... Uh, if they can carry on that form um, with a, with the car that li- clearly looks quick, uh, they're going to be um, they're going to be very competitive this season, I think. Yeah, I I have to agree with everything you said. It was extremely lucky the way the safety period worked out for Sebastian Vettel, and in addition to that, as you said, there was that uh, oddity in the calculations that Mercedes was making. Uh, one thing that definitely. Uh, rubbed me the wrong way was uh, Kimi Raikkonen out-qualified Vettel. Mm-hmm. Kimi Raikkonen was well comfortably in front of Vettel in uh, the first segment of the race, and Ferrari pitted Kimi first. 
not because that was the most competitive move, but because that was what favored Vettel. And it put Kimi immediately, race one, in a supporting role in such an overt way that just left me frustrated. Yeah, I agree. I was wondering if without the VSC, prior to the VSC, whether Ferrari would orchestrate it so that uh, Vettel would get second place. I mean, so the other circumstances that allowed Ferrari to get the win were, you know, they, they it was two against one. Because of Botas's crash in qualifying, he was down the field, so it was two Ferraris against one Mercedes. The Red Bulls had a peculiar race in the sense that um, Verstappen allowed himself to get mugged at the first corner by Magnussen, thus ruining, ruining, his, uh, ruining his race. And so you had a situation where Ferrari were able to split their strategy to take advantage of the safety car that came along. And um, in ordinary circumstances, Vettel would have been under pressure for his third place from one of the Red Bulls or the other Mercedes. But because he, you know, they, they managed to pull away from the Haas vehicles um, before their... Before their uh, I don't know why I called them vehicles. It's very strange. <laughs> the Haas cars. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, they, listen, you are you are in a unique situation in terms of sleep. So uh, <laughs> it, calling them vehicles is entirely excused. But yeah, because the Haas guys were holding everyone else up, Ferrari were able to just allow Vettel to to sit out on track with no risk to losing his third place, but every possibility that he could take advantage of the orchestrated Haas. Uh, uh, wheel uh, snafus, which was just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. And that is really just hard to discuss. There's there's so many... Haas, Haas is such a big talking point in general because their performance in qualifying and in the race leading up to their incidents was extraordinary. Phenomenal, yeah. I they mean, were fourth quickest by some way. Fourth quickest team, yeah. Yeah, and with the... Uh, clever race strategy they were they were fourth and fifth as the race went on uh, not being uh, not being touched by people behind them including red bulls and even uh mercedes of uh, of valtteri botas so here they were in just a, right. an extremely comfortable position after finishing the first two years uh, after finishing last year eighth in the constructors championship here they are looking like the third quickest constructor in some regard. And then it's wheels not being bolted on properly that take both drivers out in the span of, what, five laps? Yeah, what amazed me was the first stop for Magnussen where they didn't get, I think it was the the rear left on the car properly. I think is excusable because you, you do a... He was under pressure from... Uh, from uh, you know, there was there was a lot of cars around him. It needed to be a quick stop, so they they tried to get him out as quickly as they could, and then they had a problem. The wheel wasn't on properly, so he had to park it. Now you then you you know you've had a problem in your first live pit stop, so surely you go a little bit more cautious on the second stop. And you can see from the footage that the mechanic clearly indicates that he hasn't got the wheel yes. on properly. And yet they still released the car. That, to me, was the inexcusable part, that they didn't learn anything from the mistake from the first stop. And they did exactly the same mistake twice to second time to Grosjean's car. Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't the same no mistake. It was, uh, it was on the front wheel of one car and the rear wheel of the other. <laughs> two completely different axles, Chris. <laughs> I thought you knew more about yep. racing than that. <laughs> 
But why didn't they? Why didn't they wait until each mechanic had clearly I indicated just, that he was happy that the wheel was on the floor? They would have cost him a second, right, or two maximum, and they would have still got points. Really, strange. loads of points. Really I mean, you know, we're. I think you could say ten points was definitely in the offer in the offering here, and that would have. You know, that would have gotten them a third of the way to their entire collection last year, I think, roughly speaking. And yeah, and this, yeah, yeah, and and so, yeah, it was just a floored kind of obnoxious result. And, you know, Gunther Steiner correctly said we didn't have loads of uh, pit pit, uh, stop issues last year. You know, they are now, they're now a more developed team than they were a year before and here they're making absolute rookie mistakes and twice on with both drivers in the same sequence of pit stops it's just it's almost if this were a movie script everyone would write it off as unbelievable you know I mean Gunter's comments that they hadn't practiced enough because they'd had a few problems with the car that weekend I mean hadn't practiced pit stops enough I mean I ask you this is the third season Right. I mean, if it was their, as you said, if that was their first season, I think we'd all understand. But this is their third season now. You've had the whole winter break to uh, to practice your your pit stops. I mean, I don't buy that at all. I mean, I did like the way he's, he backed the team. He didn't single anyone out. He said, you know, we, we, we're not going to uh, do anything daft. It's, um, you know, we win together as a team. We lose together as a team. And, and they weren't uh, being too harsh on anyone. Apparently, Grosjean was seen uh, consoling one of the mechanics after, which which I think is a very nice thing to do. But, uh, but you know, has I've got a very quick car right now. In hi- Historically, they haven't developed the car very well. So they tend to be quick uh, at the start of the season. And it tails off. Their performance tails off as the season wears on because other teams out outdevelop them. So they need to be scoring points now with this car. If they want to, you know, improve on their position from last season, and throwing it away with daft mistakes like that is not not the way to get it done. I'm well, and it's worse than that because they collected zero points from this, and yet have developed a massive amount of suspicion from the other mid-pack cars. That wow, these guys are cheating somehow. They must be. Uh, this is this. I think it was Force India that said their development is quote magic because how could they just be the third year in in this quick? And I think Gunther Steiner was quoted as saying, listen, we read the rule book. We're following the rule book. If you don't like our performance, you should maybe change your strategy and follow the rule book differently. Basically what he's hinting at is we're maximizing the amount of parts we can take from another team. That other team happens to be competitive for the championship. And uh, we're, we're benefiting from that. Yeah, I mean, they are, their car is very similar to last year's Ferrari. And a lot of people are saying it's basically, you know, it's a, it's a Ferrari and has colors. And, and I think that's a little disingenuous because we know the tub is produced by Lola. Um, uh, by Delara. They have to make certain elements of the vehicle. Uh, Delara, yes, yeah, sorry. And uh, what, did, what did I say? You, you said Lola. <laughs> Thank it was, you, it, it, It's the Lola vehicle, and it's the Delara chassis. <laughs> Yeah, Delara is an Italian firm. Lola is a defunct British uh, tub manufacturer. That last was in Formula One. It was so slow. It was a comical well, effort. Well, you know, anyway. a quick quick know. little aside from that. Lola has a history of building IndyCar chassis as well. Well, I suppose they were champ car mm-hmm. and cart chassis at the time. And Yeah, but some time ago now. And current IndyCar chassis is built by Delara. There's a nice little tie-in. That's absolutely right. 
But, um, yeah, so they are allowed to purchase certain parts from Ferrari. It's perfectly legal. And as you said, they're maximizing that. And um, that's always been contentious since, since Haas came into Formula One with that approach. But it's, uh, it's legal. And, if, you know, if the other teams want to go down that path, they can, they can do so. I mean, where I think it becomes illegal is if they're, you know, putting the wheels on incorrectly so they can park the car to force a VSC to allow Vettel to win. Now, that would be illegal. But, you know, that may be stretching conspiracy theories a little bit too far. Yeah, I, yeah, I have to agree with that. But I, I, I'm <laughs> going – it's going to be – it's really fascinating to me because – I think this is a great little subplot that's going on in the 2018 Formula One season, which is where what's going to happen with the rules and the teams and how they respond to Haas performance. How will Haas uh, continue? How will they fare in Bahrain? How will they fare, as you mentioned, as development really kicks in? You know, we really we really start to see that in uh, Spain. And what are going to be the teams? Does this die off, or is this type? If does this type of criticism build momentum and maybe it's deemed that it's legal but there's going to be new rules to limit it in the future maybe it's deemed illegal somehow and there's these weird consequences like so there's a there's a nice subplot developing here and Haas is in the center of it yeah I mean I think you know as soon as the other teams get on top of their 18 cars and start outperforming Haas this will all go this will all die down again they're only going to complain while they're being outperformed um so, you know, and it is interesting. I mean, that the order has shuffled quite significantly, hasn't it? I mean, you still got the top three um, with, a, with a significant advantage, which is Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. But then you've got a nice uh, sort of second bunch now, which is basically Haas, um, Renault, and McLaren as sort of like your B, B teams. And then you've got sort of Force India, uh, Williams, Sauber, and uh, STR sort of bringing up the rear. Um, which is quite a big shuffle from last season where Force India was clearly the fourth quickest team and now, you know, they've basically been pushed down the order. But they don't they don't have a big budget. There's still a lot of uh discussion about the ownership of Force India, so there's a lot of disruption there. But you know, that's unusual for a team with such stable rules to uh to fall down the order quite as dramatically as uh, as that. Yeah, the, this was, you know, the least significant uh, set of rule changes year on year we've had in a while. And Force India went from fourth quickest to, yeah, decisively down the order from there, based on Australia's results alone, of course. And yeah, the it, it it's kind of surprising. And I think part of that is you know we've seen some pretty drastic changes. You know, McLaren isn't a team we typically see that far down the order, and they now have an engine that we know is closer to the peak, and uh, also uh, Renault as continuing its fast build-up as a proper factory team by an OEM. So those two teams moving up is not that uh, significant of a... not that big of a surprise. And, you know, Force India just doesn't have, as you mentioned, doesn't have the resources to compete with that. So maybe this was the crossover point where uh, the big teams start catching up again. But there's another team that you didn't mention in either your B or C team, and that's Williams. This was the first car that uh, uh, our their new technical director, uh, former Mercedes lead man, uh, had ha- significant um, significant input in, and the car was just dreadful. Yeah, apparently it's got really bad oversteer, 
So if they dial out the oversteer, it's then really, really slow. And with the two drivers they've got, you know, we've got a rookie in Sorotkin and we've got a guy who's just starting his second year in Formula One. And is he, is he 20 yet? I mean, the, the veteran is also still a teenager, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, Stroll did a decent job in quality, actually. Um, it, you know, he split the Force Indias. So he qualified 14th. And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't that far off McLaren. Um, and he wasn't that far after, off, off making Q3. So I thought that they might actually have, um, you know, made a bit of progress from testing. But their race pace was awful. And uh, he made no progress. I mean, he started 14th. He finished 14th. So, um, and Sorotkin, you know, didn't even last uh, five laps. So, yeah, really bad start for Williams. Very worrying signs uh, for them. But um, somehow still quicker than an STR Honda. But, okay. <laughs> we're, we're not going there yet. No. I, I, I know where you want to go. We're not going there yet. I want to know more. I mean, this was, this was Patty Lowe's chance to show his medal. And th- that... I, I don't know what else to call it other than a failure. Oh, I think you you can't say that after one race. That's that's a harsh indictment. I think we have to we have to give this car half a season. This is a bad opening gesture. This is, you know, first impressions have a big impact. And gosh, I don't know. I'm no hate against Patty Low uh, personally, but this is. I mean, this was his car. And, you know, there were a lot of changes that he made, and the result is just troubling. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the nature of Australia suits some cars better than others, right? So I think um, we, we, we definitely have to give it three or four races. And if Williams are still, you know, um, struggling, even struggling in Q2 and finishing 14th, 15th in the race, then I would agree entirely with your assessment. But I think uh, we, have to, we have to allow three or four races. We have to let them run at Bahrain, maybe Malaysia and China, before we get uh, too, too uh, hasty in that one. And then the other thing is, is that although it's his first car, you know, he is the technical director. He is trying to organize all of the engineering resources at Williams and try and improve the processes um, uh, that they use to develop the vehicle. He isn't the chief designer of the car. That's the one thing you have to remember. So that takes that takes some time to change fundamentally the way an organization's operating to develop their vehicle. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, I expected more of a Paddy Low car than what we've seen. But I also think that maybe what he, he might have been able to introduce is the ability to bring updates to a, to a race weekend that are more effective, that correlate better with what they're predicting from the wind tunnel and... CFD and and their other uh, simulation that they they run at uh, the Grove facility, so I think we have to give it a bit more time than that. But yeah, it's a worrying start. I agree with you. Yeah, I disagree completely. He had a year. It's just a Formula One team. It's not that big. It's not that complicated. It's a it's like a soapbox car, you know, or uh, you know. <laughs> they, all the F1 teams talk of three-year programs, right? I mean, <laughs> the likes of Renault, McLaren, they all say it's going to take some time. I mean, McLaren is struggling because they've had to integrate a whole different engine into the back of their chassis, right? And and so that's why, you know, Alonso's been very positive, despite the fact that the McLaren is some way off the pace that they, you know, they wanted to be. They wanted to be up there with Red Bull. Right now, they're not. You know, Alonso is saying, you know, give us time, we'll improve... We, we had a late integration with the Renault, and I, and I, and I think that's, that's a fair statement. Now, if they're still a second off uh, Red Bull mid-season, that'll be disappointing. 
but I think we have to give him more than one race. Okay, but you're you're an engineer, Chris. Yeah, you 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 understand where I'm coming from. Um, are, you're 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 aware of uh, Pinewood Derby, a cars maybe? Yeah. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So I I just want to have a quick uh, conversation with uh, any of Patty Lowe's children, uh, Patty. Uh, Patty's kids, maybe maybe think twice before you have your dad help you with the Pinewood Derby car. Maybe give him three years <laughs> to uh, really get out the uh, idiosyncrasies and the eccentricities and, the, and the, the fine details to really sort out that Pinewood Derby car. Then it'll be epic. But uh, in, the, <laughs> in the meantime... Oh, man, you're brutal. I mean, look, his track record speaks for itself. I think you got to give the guy a bit more time. Oh, I should give him more time. I just don't want to. And uh, and, yeah, okay. and and part of the reason is I mean, this is born out of so much love for Williams and uh, their story and their just continual effort to compete in and where they are in these weird juxtaposition of being a very successful team and yet not one of the big teams and everything they do to try to. So I want them to succeed so badly and to see their driver lineup and to see then the chassis not behave. Yeah. It's a tall order to put on Patty Lowe, but I'm still going to do it because I just, I want that car to succeed and it's frustrating. Well, I agree with you. I mean, ultimately they're going to run out of time. They've lost Martini sponsorship for next season. So, I don't know if, who they've got lined up to, to replace that that money. Uh, they're already taking effectively two pay drivers, um, although they're pretty high quality pay drivers. To be fair to both of them, um, but um, they, uh, you know, there are worrying signs here. They're a small team, and if they don't start to turn it around and, and improve their performance, you know, you could see them slowly go in the way of Tyrrell Brabham. You know, Lotus, other illustrious names that have come and gone from the sport, which would be or, really, really, really sad you know, day at, if that was Dare the I say it, Minardi and Arrows. I mean, uh, no, not sorry. Uh, uh, Jordan, Jordan and uh, Jordan and Arrows. Uh, just being, you know, Jordan at times, it was a competitive car. And, you know. Yeah, but this is this is a seven-time constructors winning make right yeah. williams is one of the most illustrious marks ever to feature in formula right one. but i mean with all due respect to jordan because it was a plucky little little team and we all liked eddie <laughs> but you know they had well, a, they had a few race wins they never won the title this is this is williams grand prix engineering that at one point dominated formula one back in the late 80s and early 90s i couldn't agree with so you more. this is a whole I, different I, color but the, the taller they are the harder they fall and it, the yeah. other uh, other than the uh the nice one-off win by uh, uh, yours and my favorite driver, um, <laughs> Pastor yeah, Maldonado. Yeah. Maldonado uh, win. Um, you know they they haven't won. I think it's since, since two thousand five or even two thousand four, and you know that's a V ten era we're talking about, and it's unacceptable. Totally agree yeah. with you. It's unacceptable. Yeah. So that's that's what. It, and I was and I was. Like you, optimistic that Paddy would start to turn the ship around, and and uh, Claire and Paddy would have a plan to put in place. But as I said, you know, you got to hire the right guys. You got to you got to get the infrastructure right. You've got to you got to reinvest where it's necessary. And I think that's what what he should be bringing from his ex- Mercedes experience. He helped to to form with Ross Braun the the current dominant F1 team, 
right? The Mercedes team was born from from the Honda project that, that Ross was was turning around through the Braun championship winning season, and then its rebirth as Mercedes. Paddy Lowe was brought in, and it took them some time to make it the dominant force it is today. Now, I don't think he's going to recreate that at Williams, but what I'm saying is, he's been there a year. You're not gonna you're not gonna change everything and reorganize everything and and develop an effective car based on that reorganization that quickly. How quickly they develop the car and get on top of the problems, that will be that will be a sign of the improvements he's making. I think. So let's let's keep our fingers crossed that we start to see some progress from Williams soon. Okay, I've delayed it long enough. Say your piece about Honda. Go ahead. Get it over with. Well, I mean, after a pretty impressive uh, preseason winter testing, um, where the Honda looked to be reliable and it looked to have made uh, some progress, um, you know, the race the race was disappointing. I mean, they were they they weren't the slowest cars out there, to be fair, um, but um, but the race performance was was pretty poor, and the results speak for themselves. They still had a DNF. You know, you got. The, the listed failure for the STR is uh, a power unit failure. So they had three for the season. So poor old Gasly's used one already. <laughs> so <laughs> it's going to be it's, it's going to be the same as last year. They're slow, they're underpowered, and they're unreliable. And they're going to start chalking up huge numbers of grid penalties. And that's not going to help when you've got a lack of pace. So, so I don't really see any, anything different from last season. And I'm very pleased that McLaren aren't running Hondas this season, honestly. So now I think maybe you're jumping the gun just a little bit. <laughs> Give them a couple <laughs> Grand Prix. I'm, okay. So, no, I'm not going to excuse the power unit failure. That was, that was definitely a dig, and that was unfortunate. But I, I don't think it's all doom and gloom for Honda just after this Grand Prix where uh, – one of the cars had that issue. So the STRs last season, they had some some decent results, right? They got into the top 10 number of occasions. They were pretty competitive on certain tracks. So the chassis that STR produced last year was decent, and it, obviously it had uh, it had more horsepower last year. Now it's got a Honda. It's, it's now down there with the Saubers. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, with the exception of Sorotkin, who is a rookie? So let's let's make that... Let's take Sorokin out of the out of the puzzle. The Toro Rosso's were only a, one Toro Rosso was able to outqualify the two Sauber's. That's not exactly an achievement. That's that's fair. Um, so they've gone they've gone they've gone backwards. So they've changed the engine. They've gone backwards, and they're having power unit failures. So look, I agree with you. It's it's early days. Let's see how they let's see how they go. But if they get to three races with three power unit failures. That would be a pretty damning indictment on Honda's progress, I think. Yeah. No. Okay. No. I. I. I'll. I'll concede that. I'm. I'm not gonna. I'll, I'm not gonna fight you on that. But. Um. But. But. But let's let just as long as we agree that Honda's great and Patty Lowe is terrible, <laughs> then we can just move on. <laughs> I mean, the flip side is right. Who got trashed during preseason? McLaren. They got lambasted because they had all those issues right yeah. and people were saying well you know they got rid of the honda engine now they got the renner engine well, well maybe it wasn't honda look they can't they still can't do any laps well what how did they finish the race oh fifth and ninth and uh and they didn't seem to have any particular uh, reliability issues i mean there, there was one free practice session that i think uh, alonso didn't do all, all the all the session because they had to they had some issue but 
So they're certainly not perfect, but they got two cars to the finish in the first Grand Prix with a with a new engine partner. That's pretty impressive. And um, and fifth place, yeah, it was, Alonso was fortunate with the VSC incident that he wouldn't have finished in fifth on, on pure pace alone. So it's flattered the McLaren, no doubt about it. But, you know, listen to his uh, post-race interviews. He was excited. He said he, he was now able to fight with the car. They weren't just being passed on the straights, you know, anymore. He can actually, he's got enough power, enough performance in the car to actually be able to, to, to fight the cars around him on, on more level terms. And he thinks that they're, they're, their development potential is probably going to be higher than all, all, every other team on, on the grid. So, yeah, they, we, we've seen STR take a Honda and its performance has degraded and definitely McLaren's has improved. It's not as improved as much as we'd like to see, but it's definitely on an upward track. And I think it's ultimately going to prove to be the right decision. How bad of a place is Valtteri Bottas in right now? To me, it's, yeah, it's, it's, tough it's not looking... It's, it's definitely a poor start. The driver contracts for next year is fascinating, isn't it? The pressure's already on him because his seat at Mercedes is being eyed up by, well, the names I've heard are Daniel Ricciardo. Definitely. And also, I think, uh, was it Ocon? I think is also in, in the running, potentially. So, um, you know, uh, uh, Hamilton, Ricciardo, Mercedes partnership would look pretty strong, wouldn't it? And... So Botas has to prove that he's worthy of that seat and crashing in quality. I mean, yeah, that was, was well, just... That was especially rough. And that was crashing quality, quality after already being several tens off Hamilton. And you can argue that cost Hamilton the win because if he'd been in, you know, on the, even on the second row, let's say he qualified fourth, he would have been able to put pressure on Ferrari to prevent them from splitting their strategies like they did. Because he was so far down the field, you know, they could do what they wanted. And therefore, they were in a position to take advantage of the VSC. So, you know, I mean, that's a little bit harsh. But I think, you know, you, you, you expect your number two driver to, to put the car where it belongs. And that's certainly not 10th uh, in Q3. Yeah. With no time recorded. So that was very disappointing. So, yeah, he's under pressure big, big time. Yeah. And, and you know, last year he started the season off. Uh, relatively strong. And then, you know, he ended up getting two wins, especially that impressive result in Russia. And boy, you know, things fell off at the end of the year, but this was a fresh start. This was a chance to, you know, be right there with Hamilton, you know, 10th off, right there, whatever. And it was basically the exact opposite of that. So I'm I'm just I'm I'm afraid of the pressure and how that's going to affect and, you know, again, this is just one Grand Prix. We have to keep reminding ourselves not to put too much weight into this, but Eh, it's yeah <laughs> i'm having a hard time with this one yeah it was unfortunate wasn't it the the track seemed almost impossible to overtake on so at other tracks he might have been able to recover much more strongly from that poor grid position because uh, obviously not only did he qualify 10th but he then had to change the gearbox so he he started uh 15th right so um and he really didn't make much progress he finished eighth and but, but other drivers that were down he, the order... Well, hold on. He you know, finished eighth, and a lot of that was the result of other people falling off, you know, him getting lucky with well, the true, retirements. Yeah. And that is very true. Yeah, so his his ability to pass on track was very limited. And again, Australia proved tough. Fair. But uh, it was, you know, that's tough. And uh, But let's... 
Let, let's let's talk about the top six, shall we? Let's talk about the championship contenders. So you got uh, six drivers of the top three teams. Let's let's quickly grade them. So for me, Raikkonen and Hamilton, outstanding, right? Great start to the season by both drivers. The other four, really not so hot. Yeah. Botas crashes in qualifying. Um, Ricardo does a silly mistake to give himself a three grid place penalty that was very costly, yeah. and he got out qualified by Verstappen. Verstappen got mugged at turn one by Magnussen of all he people, got owned. and then spun and couldn't at get turn around one. him. Yeah, yeah, he took very pedestrian, and Vettel was off the pace. So of the six, four of them didn't look great. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's it's fascinating to see what uh, Bahrain brings us. And uh, we're about to wrap up here talking about Formula One. Um, but I have to tell you, I finally discovered something wrong with that halo. You know that beautiful new piece that's really gorgeous <laughs> on top that is already saved countless lives? You know that it actually hinders the overhead view for the overhead camera that's on top of the airbox? Now you don't get to see nice action from the front wheels too well or the driver's hands very well you get to see that beautiful halo right in the view of the driver's hands and the front wheels. Yeah, it wasn't good, was it? I mean, it, it varied. The, the position of the camera did, in some instances, it was really, really bad. I think uh, Alonso's on board was, was just awful. Right. But it was better on some of the other no, cars. No, that's true. But it I wasn't agree. consistent. It's, yeah, but... Yeah, it, it was pretty grim. But uh, let's talk about the TV coverage. I wasn't wild about the thought of ESPN ABC taking on the coverage. But they did a good job. I mean, they basically they're they're just providing the Sky F1 feed, um, and I enjoyed it honestly. I thought the some of the insights uh, were pretty good. That they've got a good commentary team. I like uh, I like their commentary lineup. Uh, they've got good pit lane coverage, and then good old Will Buxton made a surprise appearance actually. So he did the he did the post race interviews, which uh, or post qualifying post qualifying. That's say. right. Yeah. Yeah. So it. So it's good to see that Will's still employed, but uh, but I, I was very happy with the coverage. So so um, good on uh, ESPN. I'll take back all the comments I said last year. About well, it. okay. So uh, you you've showed your bias, and uh, thank you for doing so. Being English and uh, <laughs> loving the English coverage, that's great. Uh, thank you. Here's the thing. I agree with you that the coverage itself, hearing from Martin Brundle and his crew. They had insights. They were they had fascinating. They obviously have connections and resources to give us good insights in the sport. To hear um, Paul DeResta uh, give you know analysis of specific moves and stuff like that, I found that fascinating. But the problem with the coverage was that it was stunted by these super awkward breaks in the coverage uh, during commercial. And that is just a symptom of the fact that Sky Sports isn't used to that, those commercial breaks in that way. And because they're covered in multiple places, they don't bother. So now they could be in the middle of a sentence and then clip off to commercial breaks. And then we come back and the race is already restarted or, you know, other events happen. And it just it really throws off the balance of the coverage. Um, I, I agree with your point, but it's not Sky's fault. Sky no, actually runs it's, uninterrupted it, coverage. But it is ESPN's fault so it's ES, for doing, doing ES, what they've yeah, done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not blaming because Sky. Because Sky doesn't take a break. They just, yeah, they just carry on, and ESPN are just going away and coming back to it, which, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, 
it's um, it's not ideal from our perspective, but uh, far from it, and 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 inferior to what MP, NBC Sports provided ultimately. And the other part of it is uh, when the race was done. This is the race coverage that I saw, at least. When the race was done, they showed that, and uh, and then next thing you know, I'm watching uh, basketball coverage of a of a rerun, you know, a reruns of one of the March Madness games. You know, and this is on a Sunday morning that they're doing this. Uh, and so the lack of interest that ESPN gives Formula One is quite clear. So ultimately, I give Sky Sports an A minus. I give ESPN a D plus. Yeah, I agree with you. You, I, I would have thought that because uh, the qualifying was shown live in a one hour slot um, at what was it? One in the morning. Why on earth? What? 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 What did they have to cut away to that was so important um, to to not allow themselves to broadcast all of the Sky post qualifying analysis that goes on for a, a, another hour? If ESPN's going to put it on ESPN two um, and and not show much interest, at least take the Sky coverage in full, broadcast everything they've got on these lower channels they have. Because yeah, I agree with you. It's, it seems very strange. To, to limit their coverage and, and therefore really limit our enjoyment of it and all the analysis that, that Sky is willing to, to provide. Because, you know, you've got to remember, it's not a... It's, it, I mean, there is a bit of British bias here, but ultimately, Formula One is still mostly based in the UK. And the UK reporters are able to get access to a lot, lot of the teams. OK, yeah, not Ferrari, not STR, maybe not Sauber, but the rest of the teams have some... British location even has is based in Banbury, Oxfordshire, my hometown. So they're able to get sort of, it's easier for them to find out more interesting tidbits about what's going on in these teams to get access, which is all good for us, right? That's what really what we want to understand what's going on, you know, behind closed doors that's, that's affecting the team performance. So for ESPN not to take advantage of that depth of knowledge or or, uh, analysis is very short-sighted i think and won't help to grow the sports appeal because let's be honest if someone watches the race and they don't want to follow the coverage they just turn off turn over but if espn just shuts it off it denies all of us that access and it's very strange yeah they 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 phoned it in and that's what we're dealing with here and uh yeah so such is life we'll we'll have to sort that out and maybe just maybe liberty media can improve that situation but uh, I, I think it just shows that ESPN was willing to put very few, uh, very few dollars into this project, and uh, you know they're deeming they're deeming uh, reruns of uh, college basketball more important than post race analysis in Formula One, and that that is uh, fairly disgraceful for us uh, Formula One fans in in the states, of which there are more than they're giving credit for. And it's only going to grow with an American entity running the sport. So it's it's frustrating to see. But that's, uh, you know, them's the breaks. We're going to watch it uh, in the meantime until the Formula One streaming app is good enough to take over. <laughs> right. Which which wasn't ready for the start of the season, which is a little bit disturbing. Yes, you think? yes exactly. Maybe it's Honda-powered. Um <laughs> Good. Anyway, I mean, it was an interesting, interesting opener, and I think the good news is we've got three teams that are all pretty close to each other, 
Um, and I think we're going to see I'm going to see races ebb and flow between the, the top three Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull. And I think it should be pretty entertaining. I don't think anyone's going to run away with it. I think uh, Mercedes' improvement in, in tyre management this season is a little bit of a warning, but uh, that they won't have some of the inconsistency that they they struggled with last season. But I think the other two teams are close enough to keep them honest, and I think we should see you know a bunch of different winners, and it should be an entertaining year. Here, here. As I mentioned at the top of the show, there was also an IndyCar event and a sports car event to talk about. Um, it was... Uh, the initial, uh, the inaugural IndyCar season race in March. Uh, boy, oh boy. Let me try that again. March 11th, it was the inaugural race for IndyCar in St. Petersburg, Florida. And that was, I have to say, a very entertaining race to watch. It was the first full race with uh, IndyCar's new developed chassis that has less overall, less overall downforce, more downforce from the floor less from the wings, which makes them less aero-sensitive in traffic. And we had a lot of exciting racing, a lot of close racing, and a dramatic finish. It ended up being uh, former Formula One driver Sebastian Bourdais that took the win for his team, Team Sealmaster Honda, as it's called. Uh, second place went to Graham Rahal, the son of Bob Rahal. Third place, another ex-Formula One driver, Alexander Rossi. Fourth place, James Hinchcliffe, Canadian. Fifth place went to Ryan hunter Ray. Sixth place, Scott Dixon. Seventh, seventh place was the top uh, Penske driver, and that was Joseph Newgarden. Eighth place went to Ed Jones in uh, the Chip Ganassi car. Ninth place to Marco Andretti, the grandson of Mario. And we'll just go to the top ten, and tenth was Will Power in a second Penske car. What was most fascinating about this race was that the pole sitter and race leader for most of the race was a Canadian and rookie named Robert Wickens, who has um, a lot of DTM experience in addition to uh, lots of support series open wheel experience. And he and Alexander Rossi had a collision with, I don't know what it was, one lap to go, maybe two. And Rossi was able to carry on and get the podium, and Wickens was out. And ultimately it was deemed a race incident. So it was a great race to watch. Chris, did you see it? I didn't see anything of it, I'm afraid to say. So I only have one comment to make about the race. Please please make it. Which is, uh, so um, for those of for you who uh, caught the Lola snafu earlier, Lola was a big maker of uh, IndyCars back in the day before Delara basically took over. Another former uh, tub maker was Reynard. And right. uh, they, they go back to... Uh, the days of Gilles de Ferran and um, and their, their cars won a lot of Indy cars back in the day in the 90s um, and apparently they're back involved with the sport they're helping with some of the aero development so I thought they were completely defunct so I was rather pleased to hear that Reynard are back and, and in some capacity uh, in Indy cars because I actually did an internship at Reynard oh, did you really? they paid me <laughs> They paid me not a penny to, to work there for a summer while I was at university wouldn't it be not um, a shilling Wait, aren't you? Uh... <laughs> Not that old, mate. <laughs> okay. Come on. Well, well, what would you call that? A, a pence? Not a pence. Not a pence. Not a pound. Yeah, not a pence exactly. Or a pound. So uh, they gave me some fuel money or I think, a shilling. They, so I live. But I had a great summer working with um, Malcolm Osler, who was their chief designer, and uh, and I got my ha- uh, to to uh, do a little bit of work on some of his historic cars, clean them up. Got to my first. Um, 
taste of, of single-seater race, race car design and development. It was fascinating. And uh, Reynard is an interesting guy, loves his helicopters. And there were some great stories that came out of that internship. So I'm very pleased to see them back in the sport. I don't doubt it. And Reynard, I know uh, they had this unbelievable record of winning the first race they entered in. And that went all the way through IndyCar when Michael Andretti, son of Mario, father of Marco, uh, won their first IndyCar race, Champ Car, um, in a Reynard chassis. Um, that fell hard on its face when Reynard got to Formula One, and I believe they were attached to Bar Honda. Uh, That's right. When, they, when it was a Reynard chassis. And uh, that ended that record in a harsh and difficult manner. But, yeah, a fascinating story nonetheless. Yeah, so um, what else did you – the the, the uh, Pence guys seem to struggle. Was there any – you got any feeling about who's going to dominate the sport this year from an IndyCar perspective? Or is no one going to dominate? Well, I think that uh, that's one of the beauties of IndyCar, that uh, I think Penske especially and Ganassi to a lesser extent will move their way to the front uh, over time. But that IndyCar – especially now with these new uh, common aero chassis, as opposed to Honda and Chevy uh, splitting and each having their own aero kits, will really allow multiple teams to be competitive and have race wins uh, depending on setup and conditions and everything else. And to that point, beautifully, you know, uh, Sebastian Bourdais taking the inaugural win was was evidence of that. They uh, race again on a short oval. So uh, it'll be that'll be uh, a different collection of results. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. And a week after uh, the IndyCar race happened, there was the 12 Hours of Sebring, a definitely an international racing event um, that was really fascinating to see. Um, taking the overall win was actually a Nissan Daytona Prototype International Class car, not one of the big factory teams. Um, you know, the, the teams that have been getting the most uh, attention in sports cars have been Mazda with their connection to Yoast and uh, Acura with their connection with, again, Penske. And uh, neither of those guys were competitive at all. Um, it was a Nissan DPI that took the overall win in um, GT Le Mans. Uh, it was a nice running and win for the factory Porsche 911 RSR. Um, they took the overall win and in uh, Daytona prototype with GTD, GT Daytona, which is effectively a GT3 car. This was another win for the Lamborghini Ur- um, Huracan GT3, which they also won in Daytona. So uh, the Lamborghini team is doing very, very well. Um, but that was, that was a very interesting 12 hours of racing as well. It, we're in this fascinating era of racing where... Even the endurance races are effectively sprint races with a lot more pit stops. Yeah, sounds like a good race. I didn't see any of that either. So it sounds like we should make some more effort to watch some different series than just F1. Well, again, this is uh, this whole thing was kind of sprung on you. This is my effort to yeah, yeah. add more to uh, to the podcast. And to me, this gets this is kind of an evolution of the motorsports miscellany. There's more to the racing world for us racing fans than strictly Formula One, and especially with the direction Formula One's going in. 
parts are more appealing, parts are less, and uh, it's good to keep an eye on the other uh, forms of motorsport sports out there. So I want to do that. And, and in that vein, I have yet another addition to share with you, Chris. Okay, that new stinger indicates that we're going to bring back trivia. Yes, trivia is coming back. It was something we did, uh, Jim and I did uh, years ago and just kind of let that fall by the wayside. Well, I'm going to bring it back with trivia. I'm going to try to make the trivia interesting. I don't know how many of you will agree, (laughs) but we're going to give it a shot. Chris, if you know the answer to this question, do not say a word, but... If you don't know the answer, well, then you can uh, play along, and maybe you will have known by the next time we podcast together. The question is, in the Australian Grand Prix, what is the first win amongst the active drivers racing right now? So, win was basically the longest-to-go win of the current active drivers in Formula 1. Who won the Australian Grand Prix that still raced in it in 2018? And uh, the answer to that question will come to you guys at the next podcast. So I'll give the listeners a clue. It wasn't Sergei Sorotkin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. He, the, the, the answer field has been narrowed. So uh, there you have it. Good. So that'll be fun. Well, I, I think I've got some ideas on who that might be, but I, I'm not certain, actually, so that's a good question. All right, love it. I'm happy to hear that. That's a pleasant surprise. So I do want to thank everyone for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get your podcast. And by the way, I really mean that. I just It helps us out so much if you just let us know how you're feeling about the podcast, good or bad, and especially if it's good, that helps get that helps bring new people to the platform so they might hear it but that activity in uh, the podcast platforms especially iTunes really makes a huge difference in uh, people being aware of our show as always I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars and please, please, please let me know of what you think of this new podcast format. Format Also, understand that, uh, you know, it's kind of in beta testing right now. So this isn't uh, set in stone necessarily. Um, Chris, thank you so much for joining us, even all the way in China, Shanghai. I appreciate that so much. Chris, thank you. Thank you, Robin. I managed to stay awake. <laughs> I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.